0: Good morning. We are in the midst of uh, a sermon series from Ezra, Nehemiah, and Haggai. (coughs) Uh, We have completed the first six chapters of uh, Ezra, and this book of Haggai fits into the narrative story of Ezra, so that's why we are taking a two-week break from Ezra, and then we are going to do Haggai 1 and 2, and then we return to uh, Ezra. Haggai has only (coughs) two chapters, But Haggai's message really cuts to the heart of the matter, and it deals with really the matter of the heart. Haggai's message was given to a group of very faithful men and women who somehow lost their heart for God. And in the process, they lost sight of God's priorities in their lives. So one of the recurring themes of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Haggai It's the need for us to continually reform our hearts. Haggai preached, Haggai's message was preached 18 years from the first return of the exile. And if you remember two weeks ago, Chi Ming told us about how God moved their hearts. These were very faithful men and women who took up the challenge of going back to Israel, uh, going back to uh, Jerusalem and Judah. But they lost their heart for God. So 18 years later, God sends this message. And then later on in Ezra, Ezra himself came back about 80 years. And again, there was a need to reform the heart of the people. Nehemiah comes back about 90 years after that, so 10 years after Ezra. Again, the need to reform our heart and then finally malachi the last book of the old testament 100 years after the initial return again you see the need of a reform of the heart and i think the point is this that it is very easy for us as god's people to lose our hearts for god if we do not guard our hearts with all diligence, according to Proverbs 4.23. So I think one of the key messages for us as a church as we go through this series is to continually watch over our hearts, to do it diligently, to examine our hearts, to see whether our hearts remain excited, energetic about God's priorities, whether our, our priorities are aligned To God's priorities. Haggai's message speaks especially to those who feel jaded, who feel discouraged, no longer very energetic about God's work or His priorities. Raj spoke last week about discouragement in ministry, either because of a lack of progress, we don't see enough fruit, or over relational issues. Certainly, discouragement can lead us to abandon God's priorities, God's work. I think that's the push factor. But there's also the pull factor, that we can be distracted away from God's priorities. Something else has captured our hearts, captured our passions, and draws us away from God. So regardless of the status of our hearts this morning, Haggai's message can re-energize our hearts by the fire of the Holy Spirit towards God's priorities. Just a brief review of the background before we read Haggai chapter 1. So towards the end of the exile, of the 70 years Jewish exile, God, you remember, moved Cyrus uh, Cyrus heart, to issue a decree that allowed the Jews to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Of the millions of Jews who were present in the Jewish diaspora at that time, only 50,000 Jews took up that challenge. These were, as Chiming told us, the Jews whose hearts were moved by God, or more accurately, whose hearts God was able to move amongst the millions They were the faithful ones who were committed to God's priorities. These were the ones who embraced their identity as God's people and their destiny as a nation to lead other nations to God. And they started well. They built the altar, they reinstituted sacrifice, they celebrated the festivals, and they started to rebuild the temple. But they stopped. They lost their heart for God and focused instead on their own priorities. And Ezra chapter 4, which Raj read last week, tells us that the work of the house of the Lord came to a standstill, stopped completely, until the second year of the reign of Darius. That's 18 years from the time they first went back. And then, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet then preached the, the the word of God and then Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people responded in obedience so what was that message that was preached to the people that turned their heart their hearts back to God that's the message of Haggai. There are two chapters the first chapter broadly speaks about god's message to them to ask the people to return return to god's priorities and this is what we will talk about this morning. There are four messages. this is the first message in chapter one. There are three other messages that are given in chapter two on two separate occasions, and the theme of the second message a uh, second to fourth message in chapter two. It's basically continue in God's priorities. So the chapter 1, what we will deal with this morning is return. Chapter 2, continue. So let's read Haggai chapter 1 together. Turn, uh, turn your Bibles to Haggai chapter 1. <clears throat> Haggai is the third book from the end of the uh, Old Testament. Chapter 1. Reading from verse 1. In the second year, I'm using the, the ESV. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not Yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. This is a recurring phrase Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in bag, into a bag of, with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts. You see, this is this is a recurring phrase. Twelve times, a specific mention of thus says the Lord of hosts. So this is, this is a very significant phrase that we must look at later on. Consider your ways. Again, consider your ways. A repetitive phrase that, that is God's message to the people. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought. This is God speaking. I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain and new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. This is... Unfruitful work. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shaltiel and Joshua the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And this is a key phrase. And the people feared the Lord. <clears throat> Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. That's about three weeks from the time uh, Haggai first preached. Three weeks from the time he preached, and they went and started to work on the the temple. Very fast response. So we deal with chapter 1 today, the first message of Haggai. What were God's words to this faithful group of men and women that re-energized their hearts, that caused obedience? And what is God's message to this group of faithful men and women here, sitting here in PPH today? We will consider Haggai's message in three parts. The first message is in verse 5. 1 verse 5 Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways Basically, God was asking the people to examine what is really weighing on their hearts The word consider in Hebrew actually is, comprises two words One word means to weigh or to place a weight on and the second word is heart. So, place weight on heart, and then consider your ways. Ways is your conduct. All right? So, if you put the three together, it is way, heart, conduct. So, what consider your ways, which is a recurring phrase that's used five times in these two chapters of Haggai, therefore, a very, very significant phrase, really means to examine your conduct to see what is really weighing on your heart. Because the conduct is an expression of what is in the heart. The people's putting off of building the temple, saying that it is not the right time to build, while building their own homes, reflects a heart that has been weighed down by inferior things, away from God. The heart is the centre of our beings, the place of our greatest and deepest longings, our loves. And what we love in our hearts drives our actions, our behaviours, forms our habits and gives us our identity. The heart or what we love in our hearts directs our lives. The Bible describes a heart as the wellspring of life. What we love in our hearts will weigh on our hearts and will pull us towards that end. The great Augustine understood this when he wrote in his book Confessions, my weight is my love. Wherever I'm carried, my love or my heart is carrying me. I recommend this book uh, for you to read. This is a book by James Smith and he comments on Augustine's insight. His book is entitled, You Are What You Love. And he has this to say, Our orienting loves are like a kind of gravity carrying us in the direction to which it is weighted. If our loves are absorbed with material things, then our love It's a weight that drags us downward to inferior things. But when our loves are animated by the renewing fire of the Spirit, then our weight tends upwards, in other words, towards God. For the Jews, it was their own homes that was weighing on their hearts, not the house of God. They allowed their hearts to be weighed down by inferior things as it were by the cares of life by their desire for good things and in the process they became self-absorbed they became individualistic and they became self-centered notice in verse 4 this emphasis of Haggai on their individualistic and self-centered behavior through words that he uses like You yourselves, each one of you busy with his own house. That's individualistic, that's being self-centred. They have become like what Paul described in Philippians chapter 2, verse 21. Everyone looks out for his own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. How should these words speak to us? as a congregation of the faithful. Many of us have been in this congregation for decades. We have walked consistently with the Lord. We have been supporting ministries here faithfully, missions for decades. We are a faithful congregation. Just like that group of exiles who committed themselves to return to Jerusalem at great cost to themselves and to their families. But I think the message that we need to hear today is that easy, it is easy for us, even though we are faithful, to lose sight of God's priorities if we allow our hearts to be weighed down by the cares of this world, by the business of our lives, by caring for our families, for the desire for good things, just like the returning exiles. These are very natural and understandable things. So the message for us today is really to examine our hearts. Have our hearts been pulled away from God's priorities? Have we become jaded as a church? I have. Do we have the attitude of been there, done that? Have we become more cynical than excited about God's priorities? i remember as a young christian i was 16 maybe 17 years old i became a christian when i was 12 years old that was in life chapel in pj in malaysia and i volunteered to do door-to-door evangelism in the neighborhood we wanted to saturate the whole neighborhood with the gospel even then the response was not great i was only among a handful of people who volunteered to do this. And I still remember wondering, how come people are not more excited to share faith? We use this four spiritual laws. But I was excited. In the language of James Smith, my heart was animated by the fire of the Holy Spirit, and it carried me to share the gospel. I even remember on one encounter with an elderly man who chided me for spending my time like this instead of studying And he wanted to know if my parents knew how I was spending my time. (laughs) I mean, I was in school, right? So I should be spending time to him. I was supposed to be studying, not sharing the gospel. But I took the opportunity and I shared my testimony with him. My heart carried me. Fast forward 40 years later, now, evangelism explosion. What was my first response? been there done that do i really need eight weeks to teach me how to share the gospel but the truth is i had to weigh my heart i had to reflect on whether my cynicism was a reflection of a jaded heart is there still that animating fire in me to share the good news when was the last time i shared the gospel I think God has been stirring our hearts in this area of evangelism. And I sense a growing sense of excitement to share our journeys of faith with others. I was encouraged by the testimonies of Sing Lu, Tim, Sherry, how God used them just to share the gospel just because they were prepared and they were ready. And you can sense the excitement in them as they shared the gospel with others. God is leading us to build this church again through evangelism, by calling his people to be faithful witnesses for him wherever he places us. So may God animate our hearts again towards this priority to fulfill Jesus' commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So how can we reform our hearts so that we can be energized once again Towards God's priorities, so this is next part. This is the next part of Haggai's message. In verse eight, Haggai chapter one: "Thus says the Lord of hosts, Go up to the hills, bring wood and build my house." I think the first step is to recognize who it is who speaks to us, so that we will open our hearts to God in the fear of the Lord. As I mentioned earlier, 12 times this phrase, Thus says the Lord of hosts, is used. It recurs in Haggai. The Lord of hosts, or in the NIV, the Lord Almighty, is the host there, it refers to the armies of heaven. It is a title of power and of authority of God, especially in the context of God ruling over the nations. And when Haggai used that phrase 12 times in the minds of the Jews, that phrase would no doubt have reminded them that this God who speaks to them is the same God whose mighty hand redeemed them from slavery in Egypt, who has now brought them back into the land as He has promised through the prophet Jeremiah. He is the Lord who controls the destiny of nations, who directs Egyptian pharaohs, and Persian kings like Cyrus, Darius, Xerxes, Artaxerxes, towards His purposes. This is the God of the nations. But God also reminded this, these Jews that He is the Lord Almighty who not only holds the destiny of nations in His hands, but the God who holds their lives and their welfare in His hands. The God who can withhold reign, who can withhold fruitfulness from their lives. The God who disciplines His people. In in verse 9, You expected much, but it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. These are serious words. I have called for a drought on the land and the hills. God reminded the Jews that He alone held their welfare in their hands, so that... They would fear Him so that they would open their hearts to His words. And it was the fear of the Lord that prompted the Jews to open their hearts in obedience to the Lord. To the Lord. In Haggai 1, chapter 1, verse 12, we read that Zerubbabel and Joshua and all the people obeyed the voice of the Lord. And the people feared the Lord. Fearing the Lord is a good thing. The fear of the Lord is an attitude of deep respect for God. It is the same attitude that makes us want to come to church on time. Seriously. It is a recognition that He is the Lord Almighty who holds the destiny of this church and our lives in His hands. In fact, the Lord searches for those who would fear Him. This is a psalm of David. David is the man whose heart is after God. And he has this to say about the fear of the Lord. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him. God will instruct that man in a way chosen for him. He will spend His days in prosperity, and His descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear Him. He makes His covenant known to them. Why does the Lord do that to those who fear Him? Because fear humbles us. Fear makes us teachable. Fear softens our hearts and prepares us to receive the instruction of the Lord, so that it is not wasted. And as we receive His instruction, we receive His blessing. Because when we truly fear the Lord, we will want to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to Him, that will honor Him, that will glorify Him. And for the Jews, that was to rebuild the temple, so that God, as He said, would take pleasure in it, and so that He will be glorified through it. I don't know how the recent spate of serious health issues in our church speak to you. Grace and I visited James when he was in hospital. James is our manager in CSC. And I have, th- I have his permission to share this with you. One of the things that he shared with us, of course, was his experience of God's grace over his life. James, for those, who
1: do,
0: for those of you who don't know, is about my son's age. He is young. He is very young. He shared with us his experience of God's grace over his life and how he survived those terrible nights of vomiting and pain only by God's grace when his life was in danger. And when when things started to go bad, things just fell in place so that he could be operated on urgently and that saved his life. That was God's grace on his life. But there was something else he told us as well. He said this was his wake-up call. If I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, pastor used that when he shared with us his experience as well. James could not have imagined that his life could be in danger so quickly. He was totally well one night, enjoying a nice buffet dinner, and then fighting for his life hours later. I think that James hit the nail on the, on the head. It is not only his wake-up call. I think it is our wake-up call as a church. It is a call to recognize that God alone holds our welfare and destiny in His hands. And so we fear God. Let's follow the example of the Jews to receive the words of God with open hearts and obey the Lord, in fear of the Lord. When we open our hearts in obedience to God, we also open our hands to God's work. And that was the cost for the Jews in rebuilding the temple. When they, had, when they wanted to rebuild the temple, they had to stop whatever they were busying their hands with so they, they could now work on the temple. Already they were so busy with their own lives, right? Their lives, their work was unfruitful, their wages were disappearing, like putting money in pockets filled with holes so they would have to work harder just to make ends meet. Then there was the drought which made work so difficult. And now they have to start rebuilding the temple Yet another stress on their lives. How were they ever going to cope? And when, and they had to give their own funds to the temple. They didn't have a lot of savings because they were putting their money into pockets filled with holes. How could they afford to build a temple when they don't have bandwidth, both in terms of time and in terms of money? But that's what reprioritizing is all about, isn't it? When our hearts or when their hearts were animated by the Spirit so that it is drawn upwards towards God, God's priorities take precedence. The Jews recognized that they had to reorganize their lives around God's priorities, not the other way around. What does it mean for us in PPH to open our hands to God's work? You would have heard of the deficit we had last financial year and the expected shortfall for this year. I believe the last financial year was the first time this church had experienced a shortfall in the longest time. I don't know, maybe more than 10 years. How do we respond to this shortfall? Of course, the leaders will have to be wise, they have to be accountable, how we spend our money, they would be accountable for the church financial health to make sure that there is finance to sustain work over the long term. We must be good stewards. But it is also an opportunity for us as a church to give generously towards the work of God. The temple building project would not have started if the Jews began by considering whether the project was going to be financially sustainable or not. No, they began with giving. They began by obeying. And then God ensured sustainability by blessing them so that there would be no lack of resources. We read last week in Ezra chapter 6 that when the people obeyed, God unlocked the resources. How did He do that? Ezra chapter 6, verse 8 tells us that, the ex- that Darius himself commanded that the expenses of these men are to be fully paid out from the royal treasury, from the revenues of trans-Euphrates, so that the work will not stop. Darius, the Persian king, funded the project. Singing shared three weeks ago about the work in Teban, setting up of a new center of witness in Block 50, and you have the write-up there, featured by the uh, Teban newsletter. This is a new center of witness reaching out to a new subgroup within Teban, young parents and their children, through after-school care. He also shared with us the work in Batam, such a strategic Bible school with a mission not only to send out missionaries, but also to enucleate more Bible schools. And then this morning, we, have, we commissioned Alan and Bessie to the work in Thailand. The obvious question for us is, can we really embark on these projects, strategic as they are, in the face of financial deficits? But the other question we need to ask is, is God testing our faith? For the past 10 years, no deficit. Now, you know, when there seems to be such a movement and so much that we think we want to do, and we have a deficit. Is he waiting to bless this congregation to pour out his resources on us just like he did the Jews when they opened their hands and started to rebuild the temple? Next week, Richard will will talk to us on Haggai chapter 2. And God gave the people such tremendous promises to encourage them to continue to build. In Haggai chapter 2, God promised promised the people this. I'm just reading this because this is so in line with what we're talking about here. I'm giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn, you have not harvested your grain or your grapevines, your fig trees, your pomegranates, your olive trees, have not produced crops. But from this day forward, before you even plant, I will bless you. That's how God responded to the people's step of obedience. You see, when our hearts are rightly aligned to the king, he can pour out the things. On us, if you remember Edwin's sermon. Because then the things will not be weighing down our hearts away from God. Instead, when our hearts are rightly aligned to the King, His blessings in the form of things will then empower us to be a blessing to others. Finally, the third part of the message How did God respond to the people's obedience? When we align our hearts to God's priorities, when we are ready, when we are excited to put our hands to God's work, God responds to us by promising His personal presence. And that's the third part of Haggai's message. I am with you. God's personal presence was going to be with His people. I think there cannot be greater encouragement, any greater encouragement than when God Tells us as a people that he is with us. Moses understood how important the personal presence of the Lord was with the people. And that's why he pleaded with God to go with the people. Otherwise, don't send us up from here. He says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 14 to 15 If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known? that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people. The personal presence of the Lord is associated with God's favour. I think you get a sense of what favour means for those of us who have relationships with our bosses. When you experience your boss's favour, you feel empowered. You feel excited about your work because you know you can get things done. And as we read in Ezra 4-6, and as we have talked about, the Jews experienced God's favor through the Persian king, Darius, when he reversed opposition against the building of the temple, and not only reversed the opposition, provided the resources to allow them to rebuild the temple. I think this is one of the joys and excitement of doing God's work when our hearts are aligned and excited about God's work. We get to experience God's favour through His presence with us and we will see with our own eyes how God is working through us and in us. God's presence with His people also stirs their hearts Haggai chapter 1, verse 14 tells us that God stirred the hearts of the leaders and the people so that they began to rebuild the temple. The word stir there is the same word in Ezra when God moved the heart of Cyrus, moved the heart of the people. That is that word, stir or move. What does it mean? That word means to arouse, to awaken to agitate, to energize. That's what stir means. The opposite is to be asleep, to be jaded, to be unexcited about God's work. Notice that this was the same group of people whose hearts God moved 18 years ago when they first went back to the land. And now God stirred their hearts again. Enthusiasm and strength for God's word work is not something we can drum up ourselves. We cannot, through our words, stir up that spirit. Only the Holy Spirit, only God does that within the community. But we can put ourselves in the position for God's spirit to act, to animate. And we do that first by opening our hearts to his word in fear of God. I think God is present here with us in this congregation and God is stirring our hearts, energizing our hearts upwards towards God, towards his priorities. And I believe that's why we are being led to do this series at this time. Because at the heart of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Haggai is the reformation of the heart of a covenant community so that that community can once again embrace its identity as God's people and fulfill its destiny as a witness and as a blessing to the nations. God is reforming our heart. God is stirring our heart so that we can embrace our identity, and we can fulfill our destiny. You know, even the two messages before we began this series of Ezra, Nehemiah, and uh, Haggai led us into this. They speak the same thing. Edwin, two weeks before the start of this message, talked to us about contentment, godly contentment. And he said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. What is godliness? Godliness is a God-first attitude. And he reminded us that we are creatures created by God to find our greatest contentment in the king and not the thing. Remember? And he exhorted us to stay on the right side of the king, not the thing. And in Haggai's language, therefore, we can translate it and we can say that it, is, it means, therefore, don't let the thing weigh your heart away from the king. And then missions, the week before we started this series, singing spoke to us on Genesis 13. This is the promise of blessing to Abraham. And he exhorted us to lift our eyes to what God has done is doing and wants to do through this little church. First in Teban, and then all the way from Timor to Indonesia, and today you heard about Alan and Bessie's work that's going to go on in Thailand, and in the Philippines, China, all the way to India, Pakistan. These are God's priorities, to establish His Word and the gospel through this little church? I mean, I felt my heart stirred as I listened to him because I'm reminded of what God can do through this little church that is here. PBH has already been described as a small church that is punching above its weight. But I believe, and I hope you do too, that God is preparing us, stirring our hearts for something even greater. But let's examine our hearts first. Have we allowed discouragement? Have we allowed time and distractions to weigh our hearts away from God? Let us open our hearts to God's Word in fear of the Lord so that the Holy Spirit can excite us once again, animate us, animate our hearts upwards towards God so that as a church we can put our hands together To work on God's priorities, joyfully, enthusiastically, in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is present with us. Can I ask the musicians to prepare as we sing, to prepare so that we can sing a response song? But as they prepare, let's bow our heads and let's take this time to respond to God and his words. Let's take some time to confess, to repent for the distractions that have pulled our hearts away, the discouragements that have weighed us down, the things that have pulled us away and weighted us away from the Lord. And let's open our hearts to God allow him to stir our hearts again as we acknowledge that he is the one who holds our lives in his hands He's the one who holds the destiny of this church who has a wonderful destiny for us as a church and as individuals when God called, when God prophesied through Jeremiah, he told Jeremiah that 70 years he has designated as a time of discipline for the, for the people, but he's going to bring them back and he's, his plan for them is to prosper them, not to harm them. A plan to give them a hope and a future, and that's that's God's promise for us as a church and as individuals. And God is searching for those of us and those and churches that would fear Him, who obey Him. So let's choose to spend our lives and this metaphor of this alabaster jar oh, that this song that we have sung earlier that we will use also as response song, this alabaster jar of our lives that contains everything that is precious to us. And let's offer it to God to please Him and to glorify Him. Shall we rise and sing this song together?
1: It's all I have of worth I break it at your feet, oh Lord It's less than you, you deserve You're far more beautiful More precious than the oil The sum of my desires And the fullness of my joy Like you spilled your blood still and though i feel strength and all my days are you you gave your life for me so i will live a life for you like you spilled your blood i spilled my
0: Father, indeed, you are worthy, worthy of all our lives. This alabaster jar of that contains all that's precious to us. Lord, this is our offering, our days, our time, whatever that we have left of our time, the resources that you have entrusted to us, as individuals and as the Church, Lord, we offer to you. O Lord, hear our prayers, the cry of our hearts. Return, O Lord, and have compassion on your servants. And now may the presence of Lord Almighty stir our hearts and energise our spirits towards His work. And may the favour of the Lord our God rest upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, Lord, establish the work of our hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.